it just so happened that during the photo shoot, one of the gentlemen that basically helped me out with the uh, styling, he pulled the picture frame and put it on a brick wall. We set up a table and with that table, I was working on the, the cover shot. I was working on Chicken Bugatti. I was chopping it up and everything. And that picture frame, it showed in a backdrop. And I remember telling James about the story and whatnot that he wasn't not really sure of. He basically ended up saying, you know, he was like, wow, this is amazing. We need to have this as something to print throughout the book and then be able to tell the story through about the cover. And so I really felt like every time I have an opportunity, I'll be able to talk deeper about my journey as an African-American chef coming up in the U.S. and, and working at a different restaurants and my journey and how your dreams can come true. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a really special episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Our focus on this podcast is first and foremost storytelling. And as we know, there are many ways to capture stories that excite our minds and our senses. One of our favorite paths is through culinary talent. Great cookbooks share amazing stories of culture, of cuisine, and of creation. Our guest today embodies all three. Chef Kenny Gilbert is joining us to share his exciting new cookbook, Southern Cooking Global Flavors, and we could not be more thrilled. I am Ron Block. And I am Mary Kay Andrews. Award-winning chef Kenny Gilbert has had a career spanning over three decades. He is best known for his flavorful Southern cuisine and has trained in premier fine dining restaurants worldwide, as well as working as Oprah Winfrey's personal chef. Making his national debut on Top Chef in 2010, Gilbert and his recipes have been featured in a multitude of cookbooks, national magazines, and blogs. He's based in Jacksonville, Florida, where he captains his award-winning restaurant, Silky's Chicken and Champagne Bar. Welcome to the podcast, Chef. Thank you for having me. This is great. It's so good to see you again. Congratulations on this cookbook. It's gorgeous. It's really, and and I know whereof I speak, it's such a well put together, beautifully photographed, beautifully written. So uh, we, we can't wait to hear all about it. Ricky Moore, who is the chef Ricky Moore from the, it was a 2022 James Beard Award winner said of the book, his recipes are a testament to his Southern roots. And he found the bridge that allows flavors to cross over from other cultures and delight us with new and exciting dishes. That's some pretty high praise. Can you tell us uh, how the idea for the cookbook first came? Yeah. So um, during COVID, you know, I was working at a a friend's restaurant in Jacksonville and, you know, we were always talking about food and um, my, my friend, Scotty Schwartz, his his wife, Nan, uh, you know, she's a, she's an author. She's, uh, was a you know editor for some major magazines throughout the Jacksonville. She's written a lot of articles on it. And during COVID, we were all kind of talking, 
about working on the project. And I was like, you know, I really want to write a cookbook and maybe this is the time to do it. And she's like, well, I've been wanting to do a cookbook as well. And so just through our, our, our relationship, we kind of just decided to just, you know, make it happen. And, you know, we, in terms of the photography part of the book, we, we knew that we wanted to work with Kristen Penoyer, who had I've been working with for years on uh, doing um, all the photo shoots for my, my restaurants. Uh, and so she, she understood me. Uh, you know, she is, uh, loves to cook herself. So when she looks at food, she is very personal to her as well. When she takes, she captures the image. So we all kind of got together at a meeting and said, let's do this. And we listed, let's put together a proposal and, uh, and let's see what happens. And so, uh, I wrote out, uh, you know, some dishes, crazy dishes, you know, based on my history and my travels, uh, talked to men and we, you know, had a lot of, uh, you know, times where we just kind of spoke for several hours and she, you know, you know, got a lot of the information for the head notes and everything. And we kind of put together this whole, whole proposal, um, because we wanted to find that we needed to find a, uh, an agent and then eventually a publisher. So, we took some, uh, did a photo shoot at my house, uh, uh, some, some beautiful dishes, um, for the, for the initial proposal. And then all, and then we, uh, got with my graphic arts uh, designer to kind of put together the, the whole, uh, the whole proposal that we can kind of, you know, start with and okay, let's put out there in front of some agents. And so then we went through that process and we, uh, connected with the, the Lauren, um, the Strom agency. And from there, they were in love with it. And then they went to, you know, gosh, uh, a bunch of publishers. And then Rizzoli came back and said, we want to be your publisher. And we want to be your publisher for many books. And so after that initial conversation, uh, the initial proposal we came up with, um, they kind of, uh, James, uh, you know, the one, the, 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 lead, the head publisher there, he kind of said, you know, Kenny, when I, when I look at this proposal, I see like 10 books in one wow. and, and we, and we want to be your publisher of all your books. So, uh, he says, well, he's like, well, you know, what do you want to tell as far as your story from your first book? And, you know, and I said, well, I want it to be relatable. Um, and I want to tell the story of, you know, my journey as a chef. Uh, from being a little kid from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, cooking, you know, learning how to cook scrambled eggs as a kid, uh, all the way to my time with cooking for the Ritz Carlton, the Ritz Carlton at five on a five star level. Um, and all in between, I've done where I've worked at McDonald's, I've worked at Burger King, I worked at little Italian restaurants, hole the walls, little delis, and all the way up to cooking for the likes of like an Oprah Winfrey. And I said, I want to be able to tell my story because every place there is a story and I think people will be able to relate to it. And so initially he came up with, you know, we kind of, we're just kind of talking and he kind of came up with the name coming home. Uh, and then that name later uh, turned into, you know, Southern cooking global flavors. Uh, we kind of kind of honed it into that. And so, this, you know, I, I look at this as like, uh, you know, I love John C. Maxwell, you know, I love his books, a series of books. Um, and I kind of looked at this as like, if we can, if we're going to do a series of different books, let's, let's, let's jump into it with, 
one good core of the basis, which is my journey as a chef. I, you know, my mom is from St. Augustine, Florida. My dad's from Chicago. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I've traveled around the world. My foundation has been Midwestern and Southern roots. Um, but I, I learned so much just by going out to eat at local restaurants or through my travels. And so I wanted to put things down that people could relate to in the South, um, but also introduce them to some, you know, some different cuisines that maybe they might not try, but they may try as it relates to Southern dishes that they can relate to. And so that's kind of how it all kind of came together. It was very organic. It, it happened by way of just talking to friends um, over, you know, breaking bread together. Um, having some amazing meals and conversations and, uh, and and this is where we are. Yeah. You know, Kenny, having written a cookbook myself, I understand all the elements that go into the creation. I didn't when I started, that's for sure, because I'm a novelist. (laughs) I'm a novelist, not a um, cookbook or a food writer. But um, tell us about the process for deciding. You said, you know, your publisher said, you've got so much to say. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about, I remember when I was doing my cookbook, assembling the team was so important. So the photographer, as you mentioned, and the the graphic designer and the food stylist, all of that. Um, did you already know all the people that you wanted on your team? It's absolutely. I, I knew that I connected with Nan, uh, the co-author. I, I knew that I love her personality uh, you know, she's funny, she's super intelligent, and uh, she's married to a chef. So that helps. She was going to be able to connect with, yeah, she was going to connect with me in terms of the relatability of uh, the timing of how things will be written, us getting together and talking. Um, Kristen, you know, she's so talented. Like, I, some of the first images that I've seen her take of food. I was like, I, I'm going to be connected with you for a long time because she's a special talent um, and it's she's very passionate about it. So I already knew that she was going to be the photographer and then my graphic artist who kind of helped put together the whole the whole proposal. We've been working together for years with the designs of uh, the the logos for my restaurant, the menus, the uh, my brand imaging. She's like she's like my she's like my 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 wife. But from a brand imaging standpoint, she's not going to let anyone uh, or let me put put anything out there that's not going to be that's not going to lift me up at a very high level. So I knew that I had these people that are around me, uh, you know, that were going to basically lift me up and be supportive of me. And that I let out, and and I also understood their own individual talents. I knew that how they were going to basically make me shine based on their passion uh, and love for what they do. So it all kind of came together very naturally. And so, but I, I, I knew, I, I already knew it was, uh, uh, the, the only thing I didn't know was the, the, you know, my, who my agent was going to be and who the publisher would be. But I knew putting together, I knew the team that we already, you know, had, had already come together was, was very natural. Yeah. So, um, I felt, I felt the book, the book would do well just by way of just that harmony itself. Yeah, and Rizzoli is um, is one of the best. So you're you are obviously with a with a great team there. So I don't know if you know this or not, but your cookbook has been on a whole bunch of most anticipated cookbooks for spring. 
Um, I've seen it everywhere. And um, I know you a little bit. And I have to say that what I know of you, you put your authentic self on the page and you really share mm. your stories and they come from your heart. Um, and it makes it so much more than just a standard cookbook. Can you tell what this all means to you to put this all out there? You know, I've been, I've been very blessed and, and fortunate that, you know, I've done, you know, some, you know, some interviews and some podcasts, uh, much like this one. And I've been very humbled by the, the response. Um, I, I would say that, of course, I was always wishing that I would get a, a great response to the book. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm very honored and humbled that that people are resonating to the stories and, and, and my connection to food and to what the, the story I want to tell. Um, and, you know, I was speaking to one publication and um and and i they said well what do you really want to get out of this and i said i want everyone to you know i want there to be harmony and peace you know in this in this country in our world uh and understand that we we are truly a melting pot uh, mm -hmm. as a whole you know and and what's amazing to me is that any every family i don't know i don't care if you're if you're all a black family if you're all white or if you're a mix everyone's pantry is a little bit different because of their lineage and their, and their cultural background and to tie, to put it all together. I don't care if you're, you know, come from a Polish immigrant family and an Italian, your pantry is going to be a little bit different based on how their, you know, their, their parents, their grandparents cooked and the ingredients that made, you know, that was important to them. Um, and so I, I wanted to be able to tell that story because I feel that living in the South for a long time, uh, but being well-traveled, I'm not the only person. I mean, there's great Indian restaurants, Italian restaurants, Thai restaurants all throughout, you know, Northeast Florida and throughout the South and wherever. And so for someone to take those cultural, those concepts and open up a restaurant and then, but it's in the South, you know, some people are intimidated by wanting to go to eat in those restaurants for whatever reason, because it's just an unknown. I said, what if I was able to take some common things that everyone can relate to in the South and then take some of these restaurants that I absolutely love, like a Pattaya Thai in Jacksonville or yes. a Taste of India, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, Timawa Dim Sum, you know, I just, you know, uh, San Juan Gardens, Korean you know, Thai, Indian, Chinese, those four restaurants I just mentioned, are, I go at least twice a month, if not more, just, you know, because I love the food and I leave out of educated. I said, if I can take Southern food and basically take these flavors from these cultures respectfully and, and put it together where people can say, wow, um, I love chicken and biscuits, um, but I also love these Korean flavors. Uh, or Italian flavors, how can I turn that into something that I can relate to? Because my family loves good biscuits, but, you know, we're a red sauce family. We got to have, you know, there's a chunk of Parmesan that we'll, we'll take a chunk off and dip it in some honey, and that's a snack for us. That's not normal for every, every, every household, but that may be normal for that Italian household, but they may also love the, you know, the simplicity of a good biscuit, you know, a good piece of fried chicken. And I said, and I wanted to be able to take those, the, the cultures and, and the, the the history of their food and put them together uh, that that made sense because 
I want I want more people to enjoy these other restaurants that are the small hole in the walls that basically sometimes don't get the the, the just do um, because because people don't they're nervous about going or they they don't know that they're gonna like it. Um, and so it was more so that because that was my journey. Like when I go off to go eat a restaurant, I'm not necessarily going off to, you know, just the, the chain. I'm not going to the chain restaurant. I'm going to the place that I know that the family's putting their heart and soul into every dish uh, through every ingredient. And, and then where I can walk out and learn it. So I figured that if I was able to translate that into pages and through recipes and through stories, that it was going to re- resonate with people. Let's talk about your your own early influence. Um, you shared, I think, before we came on, and you share in the cookbook that your first memory of cooking was making scrambled eggs at the age of three. So talk yes. us through the people and experiences that have contributed to your passion for cooking and for sharing your your talent. I love the story about when you lived in Cleveland, there was your buddy was from an Italian family and you'd go over there and get capicola and mozzarella and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it it started off as a little kid. You know, my parents entertained a lot. Um the the story of me learning how to cook scrambled eggs was I was three years old running around the house. My brother, a year and a half younger than me, uh, was in a playpen next to my mom. And my mom was a clothes designer and she was working on a fashion show. And she happened to have a roast in the oven. And I was being mischievous and just kind of running around the house playing with pots and pans as I normally would. Uh, and, and, and apparently I, I went to the oven, uh, grabbed the towel that was hanging off of the oven door and opened up the oven grab the rack and pull it out and for whatever reason. And, and then, you know, back then you think about a lot of those towels back in the day had a little phrase on the towels. Well, those phrase hit the coil of, of that, the bottom of that stove and it started to smoke. And then I ran, I looked at it and ran downstairs and I looked at my mom and she tells the story that, you know, she could tell that I did something because my eyes were, were bigger than my head when I was looking at her. And she ran upstairs and saw that I had pulled this roast out and, and saw the towel. She said she saw that I had enough sense and I had witnessed her opening up the oven door and pulling out the rack with the towel. And she was um, she said she checked the roast and I happened to be done. So from <laughs> that point on, she said that she was going to teach me a, a, my way, you know, teach me around the kitchen. So the first thing she taught me how to do was make scrambled eggs and put me a little step stool. Uh, she told me the importance of cleaning. She said, Hey, don't ever, don't ever do anything here without mommy. She kind of just taught me, you know, taught me the way. And from that point on, I, I was so infatuated with, uh, with cooking every, it didn't matter what it was. You know, my dad was an avid barbecue guy, you know, and the, uh, it was for the longest time. I wasn't even allowed to, when he was barbecuing and smoking outside, I wasn't even allowed to go out the patio door because my mom didn't want me to be around a lot of smoke at such a young age. And so I would just stand there watching my dad cook for hours. Um, and so like there's a picture in the, in the back of the book where I'm kind of standing there, kind of my head tilted to the side. I have a hat on, I, you know, I wear a you know, very casual outfit, but that was the, that's the image I remember of watching my dad cook. You know, he had a hat on, he was always wore a suit, he was a salesperson, and he was always around the barbecue pit when it, for for um you know when he was off cooking for the family. And I wanted to have that 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 shot and that image 
because I knew, you know, because that was a connection. And so for me, I, um, you know, throughout that, just spending time with friends and family, um, you know, uh, you know, spending, spending the night over friends' homes, you know, looking at their, um, you know, looking at refrigerators, watching the parents cook, like that was my journey of learning, you know, like, Every, again, every family was a little bit different, you know, and in Cleveland, you have all these pockets of neighborhoods. And I grew up in Euclid, Ohio, um, up in um, Georgetown, Greenbrier Commons uh, area. Um, we live in Greenbrier Commons, but Georgetown is right next to it. And, you know, I had friends from every, you know, every background you could think of, you know. And so we, if I went over a friend's house that was in a, you know, they were, you know, their, their parents were Me- they're Mexican, then the, what was in their pantry, it resonated to, to their culture. I went to a family home that was, you know, to go get some water or lemonade after playing a football or hiking in the woods. Then if it was an Italian family, you know, they had certain things in you know, like the capicola and the mozzarella and the, the Italian dressing. I remember in the red bottle with a little white cat that the lid was uh, connected to like a a little piece that you can kind of pull off and wouldn't, you wouldn't lose it. It'd be right there. And I just, I don't, I don't even, she probably made a, a dressing by taking Zesty's, you know, dressing packet and mixing with vinegar and oil and putting it in and shaking it up. But for me, it was like a homemade dressing with the best dressing ever for that Italian sandwich that I would get after playing outside. So my journey from the time I was a little kid, a little boy up to even, even today is based on that same foundation. So much of that comes through the, in the book too. The stories and um, the, the the pictures, even and uh, just what you decided to include in the book. I want to ask about how the recipes were chosen to include, and I want to preface that by saying, "Thank God you included Anna's mac and cheese." <laughs> That's the one dish that I've had of yours that's just so memorable. And and what you did with mac and cheese in the book is pretty amazing, and people are going to love it. Um, can you talk about the process you went through to decide what recipes you were going to include? And there's probably a, a whole bunch that are pushed off to the next book, right? Absolutely. Um, so uh, from the initial proposal we put together, um, it, it, it really told my journey from start to finish. You know, so there were some high end dishes, and there's some things that were kind of middle of the road. And James, you know, uh, from Rizzoli, he kind of made mention, he says, you know, uh, I think we should hone in to like, you know, like what if we hone into 10 by like 10 chapters, you know, because we started looking about the book is like, we should, it should be at least, you know, this, you know, probably have a hundred, 150 photos and it's probably gonna be 250 pages. And, you know, you start, you start going through the technical aspect of how you put together a book when you're just thinking, oh man, I just want to write a recipe. You know, it, it got a little bit deeper than that. And so I wanted to tell the story about where my current journey is and where it was in the past and how it was going to resonate to people today. You know, and so I, I came up with kind of 10, I felt like kind of iconic um, or, you know, Southern dishes that I felt people would relate to um, and, and that I felt that I could tell a story through through changing based on cultural influences. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, ch- fried chicken and biscuits, I figured that that would be, you know, having a restaurant called Sokey's Chicken and Champagne Bar that's focused 100% on fried chicken and biscuits, I felt that I had to have that as a chapter because people come in to eat at a restaurant all the time and then be able to tell them 
to tell a story that links to, you know, cooking, um, uh, cooking for, uh, you know, Mrs. Winfrey and whatnot. Uh, and she loved the chicken and biscuits. I feel like that would be one story that I wanted to be able to tell, uh, that people can, re- that people can relate to. Um, you know, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, you know, like who doesn't like a good meat, meatloaf and mashed potatoes? And, but what if the family doesn't eat beef? What if they don't eat pork or, or, you know, what if they only eat turkey? What if they eat lamb? I wanted to be able to kind of showcase how you can go to any local grocery store and, and, and see, get these different ground meats and get very easily, uh, turn, turn the uh, meatloaf into something special, uh, by way of some of these other influences from different parts of the world based on my travels or things I love to eat. And so I kind of, I, that, that was kind of the, the, the idea, you know, the barbecue chicken and mac and cheese. Who doesn't love a good mac and cheese? But some nobody. I ever, know. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but the funny thing is that think about it. A lot of people, everyone has their signature mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, 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 and in the South, it's like, man, if you don't have at least, you know, three or four or five cheeses in there, there's not a mac and cheese, you know? And I, it's like, I wanted to be able to relate it to like, well, what if I didn't want to have it where it was very heavy or super strong with some cheeses and I wanted to be able to relate it to a chicken that was more bright that had like lemon and garlic and rosemary and that may have an Italian influence or something that might be a little more bold and flavorful that goes with like a chicken, chicken wing mole. And because I wanted people to think, don't just think that food is, 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 is such uh, an amazing uh, uh, basically way to tell a story and also to learn to be educated. And so I wanted to be able to do that through common things that people can relate to. So, you know, most people eat chicken, you know, and nice. they might, they like mac and cheese. So why can't I take some things like that and, and, and then take it around the world a little bit uh, with the flavors. And so that's kind of what, what, a, kind of how it all kind of happened. I mean, collard greens and cornbread, you know, to have a, a co- in a, a cornbread crepe, a Johnny Cake crepe, and then to be able to fill that thing with a, 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 a Thai, you know, collard green salad made the same way you would a Thai uh, green papaya salad, but you're just doing a nice shipping out of very thinly sliced collard greens, but this preparation is still the same. You're getting an amazing experience from Thai flavors with some local southern ingredients that relates to the region. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. I think that it told a great story. And so I wanted to do that across the board or you know, a nice minestrone soup with a collard green pesto and a panzanella salad made with cornbread. I mean, like it, it's going to eat delicious. Now, if you don't like cornbread, you're not going to go that route. But if you like, you know, if, you, if you're a lover of cornbread and collard green, you're like, man, I was like Italian flavors. And this is like, this is awesome. I never would have thought of that. And so I wanted you, I wanted to get everyone thinking. Yeah, you're making me miss the South. (laughs) Hey, Kenny, I'm wondering, you talk about all the global influences and and creating your recipes. I'm wondering about, like, do you go to a restaurant and just, like, open the kitchen door and go, hey, y'all, I'm I'm Chef Kenny. I want to know how you made that taste the way it does. I mean, um, that's intriguing to me. No, I I don't. um, If I know the chef, then I, I might ask a question. But usually when I read the menu... 
um, a lot, especially with a lot of ethnic restaurants, a lot of them, when they open up, they're going to put things on the menu that that's, they feel that the, the, the American palate is going to connect with initially. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to start to slowly but surely add in the things like they would eat on a normal day at dinner at home or going to a street market, like a hawker or something like that. And so, you know, I, I really felt like, you know, going into a restaurant, I, I'm a student of the cuisine and the culture. And so when I read the menu, I understand the basics of it. And a lot of times I'll order some of those basic items that, that I love as well. And I'm always going to order some things that, that probably no one else will order. Or I'll ask a question, hey, what, what do you have that you guys have for staff meal? Like, that's what I want to eat today. You know, nice. um, and then and then when I taste when I taste it, a lot of times when you go to these different restaurants, a lot of the same. Like if you go to a good Italian restaurant, if you have good olive oil, you know, some lemon, some garlic, some onions, some nice Italian parsley, some basil, oregano, crushed pepper, you, you can make a really good meal. Tomatoes, very easily across the way. You can make a million different dishes with that as a basis. Every culture has some of those same you know, say seven to 10 things that makes their food taste the way that it does. And I said that if I can pull those ingredients out, understanding the history and the culture and put that into a pantry and to broaden the scope of how your pantry looks and how you're cooking for your family, I was like, you know, I, I think it's a win. I think that it opens up our eyes and, and then wanting us to actually research more about the culture and have an understanding of, of the why certain things are prepared and that's just the way my brain works, you know? Um, and so being down in Miami right now, uh, I was just talking to one of my chefs, you know, I'm VP of culinary for a restaurant group here called Girl Bay Hospitality Group. And we have, you know, 12 restaurants. We're getting ready to open up eight, eight restaurants in Raleigh's airport. We open up three more up in the Rhode Island airport. Uh, we have the Regatta Grove down here. We have five concepts opening up. This is, this is all this year. This is not like over the next five years. Like, and some of these are like within 30 days of each other. I mean, it's crazy. But we were just talking about the cultural influences that make up Miami. And, and we were talking about the, uh, one current menu, one restaurant that needs to, you know, have a little bit of overhaul and idea of the food. And I said, you know what? We need to basically, because he did an interview today uh, for, for a local Spanish uh, station. And he was asking, well, chef, how should I explain the menu? I said, well, you should explain the menu for the future is that we're trying to create a coastal seafood restaurant that basically will based on the cultures of everyone that's in the surrounding areas to come to and get something that they want to enjoy. Either A, learn about, you know, or get that's comforting to them because they're from Haiti. They're, they're from Cuba. They're from Venezuela. They're from Argentina. They're from... Cuba, you know, from Spain, uh, you know, Jamaica, Bahamas, you know, like I, I want to be able to have a little bit of all that, but coastal. And and to me, that's the best way to eat, you know, and so I want to do that. And that, that's what I wanted to reflect in this book as well. Well, you never you never sit still for long, do you? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> So uh, one of the things, going back to the book a little bit, that I, I think um, I would love to talk about, and I, I'm so happy you included, was the story of the quilt squares. Um, I had actually seen yeah. them in the restaurant, and like I, I didn't know what they were at first, but um, but now, of course, I do. 
Can you share the story behind them a little bit and, and maybe share a little bit of what it's like to be a prominent black chef in a competitive industry? Absolutely. Um, so one of my best friends is named Ray Eugenio. Uh, it's Filipino. Um, born and raised in the Philippines. A dad was in the military. He, he, he traveled throughout Japan when I, uh, we met at the Ritz Carlton and then I was the best man at his wedding. Um, he had two older brothers, you know, and he chose me to be the best man at his wedding. Um, and so our friendship has been very, very tight for a long time. Um, his beautiful wife, Julie, uh, is a teacher um, out, of, uh, out of Baltimore. He lives in Baltimore, Maryland. And when I opened up my first restaurant, Gilbert's Underground Kitchen, he, when she came down with, and at that time, they just had one, uh, one, one, of the, one of the three boys, and we took a picture in the restaurant. And then every time they had another boy, they would come down and take a picture in one of the restaurants, all of us together. But in the underground kitchen, when she came down, she brought this little plaque. And on the plaque, it had, in the front of it, it had two, two patchworks there. Um, and uh, on the back of it, it told a story of, you know, Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. And as she was helping the slaves free north, that um, uh, there was a lot of these codes and signs through, through quilt work that were made through these different patches that symbolize different things. And um, the one uh, is symbolizes uh, Cle- Cleveland as in kind of like the, 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 the area to kind of break before you make it to, to you know, uh, Canada to for, for, for the freedom. And I'm being I'm from Cleveland, she kind of thought about that. And then another one is uh, Monkey Ranch and is based on uh, you can stop and get tools here. So, like, when I started looking at the other patches, I was like, wow, this is, this is, a, this is amazing. And for her to have that thought process associated with Underground Kitchen, which really was standing for, you know, speakeasies and under, un, Underground Kitchen, like in these supper clubs uh, that were, you know, opening up in London and Brazil and whatnot, uh, she took it further based on me as a black chef and, and, and my journey as a chef and, and the pathway. And so it, it really meant a lot to me. And, and every restaurant I, I have, I always have it with me. And it just so happened that during the photo shoot, one of the gentlemen that basically helped me out with the uh, styling, he pulled the picture frame and put it on a brick wall. We set up a table. And with that table, I was working on the, the cover shot. I was working on Chicken Bugatti. I was chopping it up and everything. And that picture frame, they showed in a backdrop. And I remember telling James about the story and whatnot that he was not really sure of. He basically ended up saying, you know, he was like, wow, this is amazing. We need to have this as something to print throughout the book and then be able to tell the story through about the cover. And so I really felt like every time I have an opportunity, I'll be able to talk deeper about my journey as an African-American chef coming up in the U.S. and, and working at a different restaurants and my journey and how your dreams can come true. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you work hard and, and you know, as, as many times we, we move forward, sometimes we, we, we go backwards, um, but we're still always progressing forward, you know. Um, and so uh, I, I felt like that was an integral part about, about the story of the book. Nice. You know, um, Chef, we'd love to hear how you became a fan favorite on Top Chef. Now, how did you get involved in that? And what was it? What was that experience like? And um, okay, we know you beat Bobby Flay and that you won Impossible Kitchen <laughs> on the Food Network. 
Uh, so talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about your, uh, your career in show business. Gosh, um, I, was, I was very fortunate that, you know, I've been friends with a lot of different, you know, high-level chefs for a long time because I was in that arena myself. And Mike Vitaggio was on season six of Top Chef, and he had won it. Um, I was living up in Colorado at the time in Telluride. And it just so happened that um, I was a, a mutual chef friend of ours who was looking to hire Michael for a high-end restaurant in San Francisco. And um, in, not San Francisco, it was uh, Huntington Beach. And he called me, uh, and and I, I try, he called me saying, "Hey, I'm trying to get Mike in front of Mikey. He, you know, he hasn't answered my call." I said, "Well, I'll give him a call and see what's going on." He finally calls me back and said, "Dude, I said I was trying to get in contact with you. You know, what's going on with, um, uh, you know, like, why took you so long to call me?" He goes, "Oh man, I was taping this show, and I just got done. And I just gave him my phone back, so I saw all your messages. So I thought I'd give you a call." And I said, "What was the show?" He goes, "Oh, it was Top Show." I said. I said, you, I said, you do that? He goes, yeah, I just, I just take it. He said, as a matter of fact, I suggested for you to go on the show too. So you're going to get a call from a producer um, over the next 30 minutes. That's why I'm calling you. Uh, on top of me following back up with you, I'm calling you to let you know. I was like, man, I'm not going on any, any show called Top Chef. I said, I'm not doing that. And I knew some other chefs. Uh, you know, I had watched the show, but I'm not in depth. I mean, I saw like an episode here and there. Well, next thing I know, I get a call from a, a producer named Donna Lee. And the rest is history. Next time I know on the show, and um, I knew that when I went on, I wanted to represent myself the best way I possibly could with my cultural influences and Southern foundation. And you know, my food was always classified as international cuisine with a Southern influence. And so I wanted to showcase that that skill set on the show. And it's what happened that you know um, a lot of people like my presence on the show and looked at me as a as a as one of the fan favorites on there. Uh, I didn't win fan favorite, but I was. I was up there as one of the, the top fan favorites, and I've done a Top Chef tour, and um, they've asked me to do a lot of things to represent the brand uh, because of the recognition I received while on the show. Yeah. What was the dish that you that you fixed to beat Bobby Flay? Chicken and dumplings. <laughs> oh, of course. And, yeah, yeah. So interesting enough, the the first challenge we had to make an okra dish, and the okra dish I did, I did a uh, a jazz, coconut jazz and rice congee. Uh, with, uh, you know, uh, curried okra that had like roasted and fried okra, um, in it, uh, and which got me to the round to cook against Bobby. And then, uh, the, my chicken and dumplings dish, actually, I make it again, it just speaks to my style of cooking. Um, it, actually, I made a, um, a pimento cheese nudi, um, uh, you know, classic Italian cheese dumpling, but pimento cheese, the idea of pimento cheese. So it's like, why not have a, a really delicious, you know, beautiful veloute with pureed vegetables and everything, and have this pimento cheese nudi in there with, you know, some nice pulled, you know, chicken, you know, leg and thigh meat and nice mushrooms and and and, and it won. You know, I was very very fortunate. Yes, not many get to beat him. Yeah. So, so but yeah, so that so that yeah, there was that, and then I also did a I was on cut through a kitchen. Um, I was a judge on Chop Junior, uh, and gosh, I've done something. There's some other things I've done. They have a show called Midnight Feast, which is taped out of Chelsea Market. So I, I've uh, I just taped uh, Alex versus America that hasn't that hasn't come out yet. So um, that show's gonna be airing soon. Okay. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. I, I've, I've jumped on TV and I've had a good 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 run at, at competing. Of course, the book alludes to your work as a preferred chef for Oprah. 
Can you talk to us about what that's like and um, what it's like to be a part of so many of our celebrations? You know, I, I think it's about paying for paying it forward. Um, and I've been very fortunate that you know, I've worked with some really great chefs and a chef friend of mine by the name of Sonny Sweetman. Um, he became her personal chef years ago. And um, Sonny and I worked together at the Ritz-Carlton in the Island. Um, I was a chef of the grill room, which is the five dining four star restaurant. He came down from Baltimore, became the chef of the cafe. And when he came down, uh, there wasn't any rooms left uh, in the hotel for him to stay. So I basically had him come stay with me uh, at my home. You know, uh, we talked all the time. I gave him a place to shower and, you know, and, and lay his head and eat until he was able to get a place to stay. And he remembered that, you know, we've been friends ever since and like really good friends. I mean, we spent holidays together. Um, and when he got the job, uh, he called me up and, and we, we, again, it's just like any friend, you're going to talk about your child's relationship and jobs and whatever. And he was kind of going through some motions and some you know challenges with one particular job. And then Ms. Winfrey had come in to eat and have some tea um, at the Hotel Bel Air where he was executive chef. Uh, in California, and uh, he cooked for her a bunch of times, and then they connected because of her time in Baltimore and whatnot. And when he got, when she offered him a job, he called me up and said, "Hey, Kenny, I just want to, um, you know, let you know I just got hired to be uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey's personal chef." And I was like, "Man, get the hell out of here!" No, you didn't. And he was like, "Yeah, man." And uh, he goes, and I, I, he goes, "I would love for you to come and be uh, and help me." as we uh, create the culinary program for her, because it's important for her to have good people around her. And then you're like my brother, and I know you'll do, you'll do great by her. Um, I said, man, I'd be honored. And so first event I ever did cooking for um, was for uh, uh, the person who, who she bought Promised Land from. Uh, they, it was uh, the gentleman um, uh, was celebrating his 80th birthday party. And when they do a party, it's like a three-day party. It's not like just a day. Like she talks about this. I mean, she does parties. It's like two or three days at least. And so um, we, you know, Sunny was cooking for her um, at the house, making sure she was good. I was on site. You know, we were taking working. We were at one of the hotels in Santa Barbara, and we had a team there that I was managing. We do all the prep for these gala dinner and brunch and all kinds of stuff. And and then. Um, after that particular, that you know, she I remember her, she came down to talk to her in the kitchen about how she loved everything. And I didn't officially, I met her, but didn't officially meet her. Uh, but then shortly after that, then I was invited to come out to the home for uh, uh, Thanksgiving. And then so I cooked for her for Thanksgiving. That was great. And so I didn't really get a chance to cook the way that I would like to cook. I mean, I cooked stuff, but we were still in the instrument. You know, we were, in, we were integrating the new culinary program that we want to implement. And so I went back we, right after that event, I did the, the Selma movie premiere was invited to come down and do that. So we got to meet the, the freedom riders that were still alive and we cooked for them and, you know, big, you know, big dinner and then brunch. And then I was asked to come down for Christmas uh, and new year's Eve. This is all 2014. Uh, like all these events happen. And so leading into 2015, um, yeah, I remember cooking the, the traditional Southern dinner uh, or brunch for uh, New Year's Day. And I did a, you know, I cured a, a, you know, ham and smoked it and 
Um, I did, you know, we did fried chicken, we did greens, we did, you know, black eyed peas, we did cornbread, everything, all the traditional dishes. And I remember working at a carving station and uh, they had prayer around the table. They invited the chefs to, to stand around with them during prayer. And I remember Ms. Winfrey was holding my left hand and Mr. Graham, Stedman was holding my right. Stedman was, uh, Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham was leading prayer. And I remember her saying, um, all right, Stedman, you need to hurry up. I hear that chicken crackling in the back. And, uh, and, and it was, I, it, you know, we broke from the prayer. Everyone laughed. And I was back there but carving the, the ham up. And we pulled the fried chicken out, which was my fried chicken recipe. Um, and, and that became about because uh, Art Smith had done his fried chicken for during the summer movie premiere during a brunch. You know, he was you know, a longtime chef in Midwinfrey. Um, and so he, he invited him to come back to do that, that, that brunch. And so fried chicken was fresh in everyone's mind. That was the last thing that I remember from we're rolling into the holidays, Christmas, New Year's Eve. And she ended up, um, uh, Sonny was like, man, we got to make the best fried chicken. Like Art is known for having the best fried chicken. And we got to, we got to, uh, you know, we got to, we got to have best ever, best ever. And then, so I said, man, I got this, no problem. So I created a fried chicken recipe based on, as I've been cooking for, understanding what she, how she likes to eat, um, and then flavor profiles. And then, um, that particular day, uh, after the prayer broke, Going back to the prayer part at the parable of uh, Kirby, Gail's daughter, got went in the line first. She made a plate. She sat down, and then she took a bite of the fried chicken. It was like, oh my god! And everyone's like, what was wrong? And you're like, oh, this has to be the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life. Wow. And then, and then Ms. Winfrey was like, oh, is it better than Arts? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then and Kirby was like, oh yeah, uh, I think it's better than Arts. And then Gail got some chicken made a comment and then Mr. Graham got some chicken, made a comment. And then uh, you know, Mr. Graham's like, Kenny, or she he goes, uh, you know, uh, Oprah, you have to get up and get some fried chicken. And, and she's like the best hostess ever. She's waiting for everyone to go through the line and get their food and everything. And she's like, Oh, I, I, I'm gonna get there. And and I carved a little piece of ham. Um she liked the little crusty part on the end and she loved it. And then she went through the line and she went and grabbed the thigh. And she always eats like little small portions throughout as she's kind of you know the hostess. And she grabbed a thigh and I said, Miss Winfrey, I said, Would you like any hot sauce? I made homemade hot sauce with green chilies and and red chilies from her from her, her farm. And then she says, uh, uh, well, if it needs it, I'll add it. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, you know, what's gonna happen? Well, the next thing you know, she um, she took a bite and she like looked back at me. Uh, she, um, she looks back at me and she says, Kenny, um, she's like, you did all this, didn't you? And then, so this was like the first big meal that I had done where we had decided we were going to do all these steamed meals based on our specialties. And, you know, like Mei Lin was there and, you know, she did, we did a traditional Chinese kind of dinner. Um, and then this was my Southern day. And so I, I looked at this with her and I said, yes, ma'am. And she says, well, hopefully there's no cameras in here. Um, or, you know, Art's not spying or checking us out or anything like that. But I have to say that the the 60 years plus years I've been on this earth, this has to be the best southern meal I've ever had in my life. And wow. she was like, thank you very much for thank you very much for sharing your 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 passion, your history with our family on a special day. And then I, I've been invited ever since. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, I come out and fry, you know, like 
Uh, most recently, I cooked for Ava's 50th uh, birthday. Whoa. They asked for uh, um, Ava DuVernay. You know, mm-hmm. she, you know, I cooked for her a bunch of times. I cooked for a, a bunch of other very high-level celebrities and whatnot at different times, and it was amazing. And um, uh, I, I, I'm very blessed that she's taking a liking to me. It's when I see her, you know, it's a big hug, you know, kisses, and thank you for taking time away from your business. I mean, I created my first restaurant from money that I made cooking cooking for her that first, that 2014. I literally saved all my money. I didn't go out and buy a nice watch or a nice car. I mean, I created a business and created jobs and was paying taxes, you know, um, based on money that she gave me because of the hard work that I put in cooking for her and her family. And so I told her that at one of the first stories. I said, you know, I'm very, I'm very um, appreciative of having the opportunity to do this. And just so you know, I opened a business because of the money that I made, uh, you know, which I made good money. It, it wasn't like I made millions of dollars and like that, but like I was smart enough with my money and I was able to, you know, flip, flip the money and create um, new experiences to create jobs for other people that were able to take care of their families. And so I wanted her to know that that connection meant a lot to me. And that, and that, and she, she knows the impact she makes on this, on the world and with people, but I wanted her to hear from my mouth to her ears. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's uh, that's what happened, and so I've been very fortunate and blessed to be able to to, to cook for all these years. Wow! 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 Um, wow! On that note, sadly, we are running out of time. But Kenny, we can't thank you enough for sharing your stories, your history, and mostly your food with us. Congratulations on the stunning book! It is gorgeous, and our listeners are going to literally ready for this. Eat it up. <laughs> where, where can they follow and co- and connect with you online? But also, I want to point them to where they can purchase your Chef Kenny brand items. Uh, you can go to chefkennyyoba.com. Um, all the details are there for the, the, the early release of the book, uh, which comes out April 11th. Um, right. You can get these still separate pre-sales. Um, Chef Kenny Gilbert uh, on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Chef Kenny G37 on Twitter. Perfect. Uh, thank you again. It's so good to see you. And I know that this book is going to be a big hit. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And thank you all for tuning in to this delicious episode. We love that storytelling includes so many different creative approaches. You can purchase a copy of Southern Cooking Global Flavors on our Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page, which supports independent bookstores. On behalf of Mary Kay, Patty, Kristen, and Christy, we all appreciate your support and want you to know it. Hope you tune in next week and please share with a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends in Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.